Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for March 4th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. On this week's edition, we hear about the lingering impacts of recent winter weather on agriculture, and we learn about the ongoing work of the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. We also get our weekly update from the state legislature with Arkansas Farm Bureau's Jeff Pitchford. First, snow melt from the recent winter storms has saturated ground across Arkansas, including the tomato and produce growing region in the southeastern part of the state. Additional heavy rain last weekend aggravated the problem. Ken Moore spoke to John Gavin, staff chair of the Bradley County Cooperative Extension Service about how the recent winter weather may impact field preparation and timely planting of commercial tomato and produce crops. Welcome to this week's edition of Arkansas AgCast. I'm Ken Moore, and the weather is still the story in Arkansas agriculture. A couple of weeks ago, we were just beginning a historic winter storm. Two weeks ago, uh, here in Arkansas, two separate snowstorms dropped between 10 and 20 inches of snow and ice on most of the state, uh, and that includes southeast Arkansas. Uh, and now this past weekend, the snow is gone, the snow melt has occurred, and we've had uh, some rather extensive heavy rainfall on top of already saturated ground. Today on AgCast, I'm visiting with John Gavin. John is the staff chair of the Bradley County Cooperative Extension Service uh, with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Uh, John is our uh, the man I like to go to for updates on uh, horticultural production and our produce operations that are so prevalent and important in southeast Arkansas. John, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time today, sir. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. All right, John. Well, let's talk about I've kind of set the scene here. Uh, past two weeks have really been something uh, here in Arkansas statewide. Uh, kind of just go back two weeks and just how bad was the snowstorm down there in tomato production country? Well, here in Bradley County, I'm going to say the, the snow averaged somewhere between uh, 12 and 16 inches, depending on what part of the county you were in. And uh, it was one of the bigger snows we probably had in uh, 25, 27 years. Wow. Now, it came at the end of the month of February. Uh, We've had a relatively dry start to the year. You know, January was not all that terribly wet, uh, but we did have a lot of heavy rainfall last fall, as you know, across your part of the state. Uh, Things kind of tended to dry out a little bit. And now, though, the last two weeks, uh, what's the ground like down there? I mean, can farmers do any field work right now? Well, when you take the uh, thaw from the snow that we had two weeks ago and add, uh, you know, three to four, four and a half inches that we received over the weekend, uh, about all you can say is uh, it's wet and it's wet deep. And um, there's really not a lot that can be done outdoors agriculturally uh, because of this. Of course, here we are at the first of week of March, and most of our tomato crop will start going in the field the last week of March. So you're looking at about three weeks away that uh, farmers have to prepare their land and lay the mulch plastic, getting ready to plant. And right now, it's just no way to even start. 
Well, I was afraid of that. And, uh, of course, in years past, about the past two to three years, we've uh, conducted extensive reporting on the impacts of an extremely wet spring planting season for our row crop farmers uh, in the Delta. But uh, our produce growers, they need dry weather, too. And that extremely wet spring weather just further uh, delays, I would think, you know, the work they can do. Right now, would uh, these produce growers be doing any type if they had the opportunity uh, of field preparation to get ready to plant at the end of the month? Yes, if the uh, soil moisture was more uh, to their favor, they would be out uh, tilling, uh, applying fertilizer, uh, laying off the rows, uh, and then, uh, of course, placing the drip and the plastic irrigation on the ground, uh, getting ready to plant the tomato transplant into, hopefully, the end of March. Of course, right now, in the greenhouse themselves, they've got their tomato seeds planted. They're growing their transplants, uh, tomatoes and peppers, and soon they'll uh, start seeding uh, watermelons and cantaloupes, preparing uh, their transplants to uh, go in the field first middle April or so. So, you know, the, the ball has started. And uh, so it's, it, it's got to get where we can do the field work so we can go to the field with uh, a good, healthy plant and hopefully uh, not have to hold it over because of wet ground, uh, allowing the plants to maybe get a little tall and lanky, uh, which would be a weaker plant out in the field. Sure, and kind of expand on what you just referenced, the fact that uh, before they actually transplant into the into the soil, into their fields, a lot of the uh, overwinter work is done in green or hothouses, if you will, uh, to get those plants started in pots or containers, I'm assuming. Uh, and I know a lot of backyard gardeners do a lot of that on a smaller scale, but even uh, your commercial growers you have down there, uh, they're they're already starting the process of getting these plants off to a start, aren't they? That's right. That's right. You know, normally for most transplants, it's going to take uh, you need to start your seeds for a minimum of four to maybe six weeks prior to your expected planting date. So, <clears throat> if we're looking at going to the field the last week of March, well then you're looking the middle of uh, February as far as planting the seeds. And, of course, uh, the way they uh, prepare that, uh, they have uh, what they call germination trays. Uh, they're trays that's just a little bit bigger than a legal-size uh, typing paper. And in that, they put around 500 seeds. And after about uh, two weeks, you'll have plants maybe an inch and a half, two inches tall. And you, you carefully separate those and plant them into the uh, what you would call the field uh, transplant trays, which are normally 24-hold trays, uh, probably about two inches across. And you, so you're planting that little bitty tomato plant into the transplant trays, and you will raise them in those uh, for three, four weeks to get a plant up about six, eight inches tall. And then that's the plant you will plant in the field. And, of course, uh, tomato is a a fairly long season vegetable uh, with uh, growing habits that just about requires Arkansas tomato growers to start the seeds in the greenhouse uh, and then take the plants into the field as a full-grown transplant. 
And the reason why is if you uh, try to direct seed tomatoes into the field, by the time they're up and really uh, at a maturity that they can start setting blooms, we're getting into uh, the heat of the summer in which when temperatures are above 80, 90 degrees, tomato plants does not set fruit. Uh, and that would, of course, lower your yields tremendously. So we're almost required to start tomatoes as transplant in order to put in a get in a crop this year before it gets too hot. Now talk about also the advent of high tunnels and uh, the number of growers who may be utilizing that technology now to extend their seasons uh, down there in southeast Arkansas. Do we already have any, uh, you know, cold season uh, green type produce that uh, you know cabbage or uh, lettuce or you know greens broccoli anything like that growing right now in high tunnels there are uh, across the state uh, in Brandon County there's not really anything in a high tunnel that's being uh, produced commercially I think you see those really more around uh, uh, heavier populated areas so that those producers can participate in local farmers market or or own farm sales. Uh, but in Bradley County, we're just not close enough to a highly populated area that that has generated a lot of interest, the high tunnels. Well, I know you've got to have a lot of acreage for your commercial operations that you do have down there. And uh, so that would kind of, you know, prohibit the use of some of those tunnels on a large scale. But uh, nonetheless, that does uh, help some produce growers. Uh, they have some things in the ground right now. That's right. I mean, the, the people that uh, take advantage of those structures uh, it really does extend their their growth season. Um, you know, you can start tomatoes in the ground now, and uh, and hopefully, without the exception of. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, which which was extremely cold, and normally it never gets that cold, you could start growing, you know, a lot of vegetables and be selling produce. Now, not tomatoes, but like you said, leafy greens and and uh, getting your tomatoes and stuff in the field before uh, in uh, production before we ever get in the field. So uh, it's it is a, a big advantage to people that can capitalize on high tunnels or. Uh, hoop houses or whatever to grow produce. Well, John, once again, let's kind of look ahead now. We've got uh, very saturated ground. It's I can envision, you know, I know in the Delta this just looks like a lake out there on some ground. It's so saturated it doesn't drain very quickly, backs up uh, out of some of our rivers and streams. Uh, down in your area, uh, we, we're expecting a little more rain tomorrow than maybe a two-day dry spell, but then uh, a little more rain potentially at the end of the week, and then who knows what the rest of the month of March holds. What, uh, you know, if we get, uh, if this ground doesn't dry enough for them to get some equipment on the field in the next two weeks, is that going to significantly delay the planting uh, of our produce? It's going to cause a lot of concern. I mean, ideally we we do want to go or start planting the uh, last week of March, and as you said, the, the way that the soil conditions are now with more rain in the future, uh, we're, we're being delayed. And, uh, of course, you have 
some producer that uh, are on really good deep sandy soils, and of course, if it would quit raining, they may can get on there and actually start tilling in five, six, seven days. But for people that's on a little heavier soil, um, you know, you're looking at two weeks. If it stops raining, you know, you may could start uh, preparing the soil and, and, and have plastic in the soil in a week and a half, two weeks. But, again, that's if it quits today. So we are already going to be pressing a lot of the producers uh, to get their uh, fields uh, worked up with with their mulch in the field. Now, sometimes you got a little wait time. Uh, uh, if you grow your transplants and time it right, you shouldn't be have really uh, excessively big plants the first uh, slash week in March. So, you know, you could probably go into the first week of April, maybe a little bit longer before you really getting into a situation where you're you may go to the field with a poor transplant because it's it's overgrown and lanky uh, in other words it will, will tend to want to fall over so you know timing is everything um, and we need cooperation for the ground to uh, to uh, to dry up where where they can begin that but then also we need good growing conditions uh, for the plants in the hothouse too yes no doubt no doubt. Well, let's kind of wrapping up our conversation here. We're we're just now talking about planting, but you know, uh, here it is the first of March, and typically, what is it, the first weekend of June, when historically you have the Vine Ripe Pink Tomato Festival down there in Warren. Is that right? And uh, that is last correct. year. Be- uh, yeah, I was just going to say you're correct. It's a uh, uh, I guess as they call it, the second full weekend in June, and plans uh, are being made to conduct it. Hopefully, uh, uh, the the COVID uh, restrictions on groupings and and size of groupings might be relaxed, uh, and you know we could at least do more activities than we did last year. Yeah, I was just going to say we, you and I had that conversation at during the month of May, uh, announcing that you would not be able to have the festival for the first time, I think, almost in history, and uh, that is the, a huge, huge event for all of Bradley County and Southeast Arkansas. But uh, I see where you know, as more and more people are getting vaccinated now, and uh, the number of hospitalizations are declining, maybe uh, over the next three months. You know, state of Arkansas will relax some of those restrictions because they know how vitally important economically those uh, festivals are, don't they? That's right. That's right. I mean, it's it's a it's a good shot in the arm for Warren and Bradley County, but when you add up all the festivals across the state, highlighting uh, each community for their uh, uh, purpose of having a festival, whether it's an ag related festival or something else. Uh, those things are greatly missed. I mean, it's a time for the local community to shine and 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 show their best to the to the visitors that come in. So uh, I, they're greatly missed. Well, let us hope we get the crop in the ground in a timely fashion here in the next three to four weeks. The weather will dry out enough for your local growers to do that. You've got some outstanding tomato and produce operations down there in, in Bradley County. Southeast Arkansas, and uh, let's just hope Mother Nature cooperates and lets them get a good crop in, and we can be celebrating that here in three months. 
I appreciate that. We we certainly look forward to having it. If everything, uh, as you say, all the ducks get in the line and 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 withdraw some restrictions and let us have those. So we're really looking forward to it. Well, John, I hope to uh, talk to you again here in about two to three months. We'll see how the growing season is going when we get around to, say, the 1st of May. We can look forward to promoting that festival here the second weekend of June. Very good. Very good. Thank All you. All right. We're talking to John Gavin. John is the staff chair of the Bradley County Cooperative Extension Service for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture on this week's edition of AgCast. Next up, Greg Patterson talks to Susan Kohler, the Farmland Preservation Manager for the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust. Kohler's organization is working to help people who want to get into agriculture find land they can farm in Benton, Carroll, Madison, and Washington counties. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we've got Susan Kohler, and she's with the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust up in Fayetteville, Arkansas. She is their farmland preservation manager and susan welcome to arkansas atcast thank you greg i appreciate you uh making the time for me well of course at farm bureau one of the things we're always uh asked by especially the younger farmers who are coming up is you know one of their most difficult things is to to access land to farm uh it's almost like if you didn't inherit it or win the lottery to buy it or something. It's a, it's a tough, tough thing to come about. And your organization is involved up in Northwest Arkansas in trying to provide access to farmland for farmers. So tell us a little bit about that program. Yes, and, and everything that you're saying is true. And unfortunately, we are experiencing that in Northwest Arkansas. And the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust is a part of a larger initiative in our community to strengthen our regional food systems. And as part of that, we are um, working to give farmers um, greater access and support um, as they embark on, you know, beginning to farm or expanding their farms. Um, These programs include a number of things. Um, It starts with a website and free service called NWA Farm Link, where farm seekers and farmland owners can um, meet uh, virtually, post profiles about what they may be looking for in their farm or um, their current farmland operation and, you know, how it might be desirable to a new farmer. And then as part of that, we also provide consultation and access to resources to help them meet their goals. Oh, that's that's very helpful. Yes. um, There's also some additional programming that's coming online. Um, And the first I'll talk about is actually helping farmers that are ready to purchase uh, farmland This is specific for growing fruits and vegetables, um, at least a a primary enterprise, not to say that they can't have a diversified farm, but the focus has to be on fruits and vegetables. So so basically we're talking about specialty crop farmers. Correct. And if they're in a place that they are looking, you know, to purchase land for that uh, enterprise, we have some additional um, programming that would be available to them to look at possibly conserved land 
that would be available um, at a more affordable rate. Um, it is, you know, would be priced more towards an agricultural value versus a development value through sure. a conservation easement. Um, and then um, we also could work with a farmland owner if they had, you know, identified that parcel and, and that owner was, was interested in the possibility of conservation. What's the what's the uh, the market like up there? Because we know that that the average age of a farmer is you know up in the upper fifties, lower sixties. Yet we have a lot of younger farmers who are wanting to come in and get started. They need to get land. How's that that market look up in Northwest Arkansas, where you have this real intense urban interface? Well, everything that you shared is is also something that we're experiencing in Northwest Arkansas, and I would add to it that as a result of COVID and the interest in more rural properties or, um, you know, perhaps smaller five to ten acre tracks, not only are potential farmers now competing with developers, they're also competing with, you know, professionals that can work remotely and, you know, want to have more space for their family or, you know, their own interests. So it's another added layer. Um, we want to encourage them and to have them stay positive and, you know, that it, it can take time, but luckily through programs like ours, um, you know, that, that it is something that they could overcome and we're, um, you know, doing everything we can to connect them also with other farmers that have experienced this and how they've, uh, you know, satisfied their journey and, and were able to access land to farm. Now, this program is, is relatively new, correct? It is. So FarmLink was launched in twenty in late 2019, and then the um, other programs have just been launched in, in early 2020. And then there's one other, excuse me, 2021, and then there's one other program where less experienced farmers and those that might have less access to capital and can't purchase, they could go into the lease-to-own farmland program. And this is something that's still under development and we're looking to stand up in 2021 and we're hoping to communicate more about this very shortly. I, I was going to ask you, Susan, um, this maturation process, um, as you mentioned, FarmLink launched in, I think, November of 2019 and then all of a sudden 2020 is almost like a lost year with with covid and things going on but but farmers still farm and now you're branching into you have some some stuff on the drawing board what can you share with our listeners in regards to what's on the drawing board and some of the things you'd like to accomplish yes well we would you know really like to be helping to um help new farmers that are looking to access land to be able to find those forever farms. And we are going to be um, hosting a webinar March 31st with mm -hmm. the NRCS. Um, there is also a new program in Arkansas um, called the Agricultural Conservation Easement Program, um, where they now have dollars available to purchase agricultural conservation easements from farmers. Um, and then we also have access to some additional local funds that can help to make this transfer process 
um, easier for both the farmer um, accessing the land as well as possibly the farmland owner. So March 31st, we'll get you more information about that. And then the lease to own program, it's, it's still too soon for me to talk about when it could be a possibility that we would share more details. Sure. But um, we do have our, our Facebook page, and we will you know, likely issue a press release and get in touch with Farm Bureau to promote that when we have more information. Now, talk, talk a little bit about the, the farmers that you are um, in contact with uh, up there. Kind of what's, what's their MO? What's their age group? What, what are their interest levels? What kind of folks are getting in touch with you to to try and connect with land? So farmers looking to connect with land um, are everything from a re retired military veteran or two mm -hmm. um, that are, you know, some are considering a second career, um, obviously a second career from the military, but also second careers outside of corporate life. Right. Um, we have young professionals that have a lot of skill around agriculture. They've been interns. They've been apprentices. They have, an, you know, uh, degrees in horticulture and other forms sure. of agriculture that are interested in seeking land. Um, and then we, on the farmland owner side, um, we have had predominantly more non-operating farmland owners that want to see the legacy of their family farm preserved. And really? they Yes. And those, um, what's interesting on FarmLink, um, and we've experienced, as have the other FarmLink operators, is you often have more seekers than you do farmland owners. Oh, and sure. That's, yeah. And we've felt that too, but we've had a number of people reach out to us and their properties are not listed yet or profiled on FarmLink but they're actively learning more about the program and wanting to help be connected to farm seekers. So we just work with everybody based on where they are in that journey and process and then try to point them in the right direction for resources, you know, that would be helpful um, to meet, to meet their goals and then to find, you know, possible farmers for them. We have had a couple of formal matches, which we've been excited about. And um, those individuals are, working through um there's not been actually there has been some transfer of land there's also been employment opportunities and mm -hmm. those individuals are just working through um you know how to continue on that uh what uh, both of their goals are um and to you know ensure that they've got a good fit going forward yeah and i would think that that's completely understandable because when we're dealing with situations where you have you know, uh, let's say a farmer who's gone through an apprentice program with the university or with another farmer in some way, shape, or form, or has a degree. It's all about relationship building, uh, especially when you're when you're talking about, you know, being able to pair up a potential farmer with someone who owns land. And so, I'm sure you spend a lot of time building those relationships. We try to, and we also, um, it's been difficult with COVID. We also um, try to, um, you know, help each of the parties navigate and get more clear about what their expectations would be and then how to talk about those expectations with, um, you know, either the, the farmland owner or the farm seeker. And just to be clear, um, 
in FarmLink or in any of our pro, um, or in some of our programs, leasing land to farmers is also certainly acceptable. As would be other arrangements where you know somebody might um, want to work um, you know on a farm you know in exchange for access to certain things. It can be more you know temporary like that, or it could result in a possible sale. Right now, now you also have uh, some potential folks to work with out there that are that would be beneficial to a farmer looking to get on land, and I would assume you have good connections with the University of Arkansas, and you have connections with uh, you know the Ag Law Policy Center, and all these different connections that you can help people. Yes, you're absolutely right, Greg, and this is all part of the NBUA Food Systems Initiative where the University of Arkansas has their Center for Farms and Food. It includes the Farm School, which is a new Mm -hmm. program, the Apprentice Program you mentioned. That Apprentice Program can benefit both, um, you know, farm seekers that are looking to get more experience, but it also can benefit local farmers that need an apprentice um, and perhaps some additional labor. Also, it's a great way to get to know somebody in building those relationships if they, you know, do want to transfer the farm and and or the business over time. And then there's also the Food Conservancy, which is acting as an aggregator, and they're developing new market opportunities beyond the farmer markets, farmers markets, so that, um, you know, farm viability for these farm seekers is um, more realistic with um, some expansion uh, for sales. Yeah, and and I've had some conversations with folks involved with that, and and it's just a unique program with the trust, the Center for Arkansas Farms and Food, uh, the Food Conservancy, and all the different folks that are involved that are really pushing a grow local, buy local, consume local uh, sort of process, and the university has the education component involved there as well as the opportunities for apprenticeships for the farmers so or things things are looking good up there but at the same time you have pressures from the fact that so much of northwest arkansas has has changed to an urban environment and tell us a little bit about that Yes, it's true, and you know, unfortunately, um, the land that is flat and cleared is is highly desirable for um, you know other uses besides farming. Um, and we're just trying to do everything we can to educate people about you know the potential um, benefits of these other programs around conservation that can yield tax benefits and you know financial gains. Um, for individuals that would like to see, you know, another potential legacy and to, and to, you know, honor that farming tradition. Susan, is there anything else you want to tell our listener, listeners that I may have missed at this point? Well, the only other thing I'd want people to know is that um, at this point, we are focused on Benton, Carroll, Madison, and Washington counties. Right. So, Farm seekers can come from anywhere, and we have had people considering moving to the area because Northwest Arkansas is such a great place to live and work. Um, However, the farm land that we're evaluating for these programs needs to be in those four counties. Um, We don't know, you know, when we would be able to expand or if that's a possibility, but there are other, um, there's, you know, other land land trusts in the state 
um, and there are, you know, these federal programs can also benefit across the state. So we would certainly connect others if they were outside of Northwest Arkansas um, to those that could help them in their communities. If there are uh, landowners that are in those four counties or, uh, you know, farmers who are seeking land, um, how would they get in touch with the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust um, to explore these possibilities? Well, thank you. And the easiest way would be to call us at 479-966-4666. And they could also visit um, nwafarmlink.org. That is the website that's dedicated to um, some of the, you know, the specific work that we've been talking about today, or they could visit the, the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust.org website. Well, she is Susan Kohler. She is with the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust, and she is their farmland preservation manager. And Susan, great things happening up in Northwest Arkansas. You guys are really making an effort to uh, keep farming alive up there and vibrant in Northwest Arkansas. We appreciate you taking time to be on this edition of Farm Bureau's Arkansas AgCast. Thank you very much. Finally, Keith Sutton gets this week's update on activity at the state capitol from Arkansas Farm Bureau State Affairs Director Jeff Pitchford, who provides the latest news on Arkansas Farm Bureau's priority legislative issues. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Each week, we uh, try to give you an update on what's happening down at the state legislature. And for that, we go to Jeff Pitchford, Director of Public Affairs and Government Relations here at Farm Bureau. Jeff, uh, welcome back to AgCast. Glad to be back, Keith. Yeah, it's been, uh, uh, in on some fronts at least, a pretty busy week down at the Capitol. And we know you got a lot to share, so... Uh, Let's jump right in and tell folks what's been happening. Yeah, absolutely, Keith, and appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. Yeah, we are uh, starting the first week in March, and so um, I don't know if this is the home stretch month, but uh, as uh, we probably will get into April before this session comes to a close, but March we'll see, this month we'll see a vast majority of all the activity, and so uh, it's time to, to double down. Uh, this month and, and try to see what we can get done for agriculture in rural Arkansas. Probably this week, this first week in March, uh, the, we're at the last stage of the package of bills that will help the uh, levy districts uh, across our state, the reporting requirements, the transparency, uh, the abilities to, to do things that they can't do now. Um, and so those bills are on the Senate floor. The sponsor on the Senate side, Senator Stubblefield, had a death in the family, and we certainly send our condolences uh, to him and his family. And so uh, it hasn't been put on the calendar, but when he returns uh, this week, we feel like uh, he'll be able to get those on the calendar and move those through the Senate. So we expect by the end of the week to have those bills uh, going to uh, the governor's office uh, to be to be put into law, and those are some good bills. Uh, that will give some options and also some more transparency. The public will, will know more about what's going on with their levy district. So we appreciate Representative Bentley and Senator Stillfield for their and everyone else in the legislature for their work on, on that bill. This week, um, it, 
it's not scheduled yet, but a uh, personnel committee meets uh, the positions in the Department of Agriculture that would work on the state meat inspection program will be up for discussion. So we're certainly hopeful uh, that they'll get to that and we'll have a favorable uh, mark there. We are trying to increase the number of positions in the Department of Agriculture that they're authorized to have, and those would be the, the inspectors, the veterinarian, and the lab tech, and the director position that would oversee the state meat inspection program. So we're hopeful that that will get going this week if the personnel committee uh, meets. Something that's got some wheels now and starting to move is the uh, Forestry Scholarship Program. This is, it would be a new program, but would you use existing money so it's no cost, uh, extra cost to the general public. Uh, Representative Bragg has that on the House floor uh, this week, and that's, uh, that bill has started. It would uh, uh, set up a scholarship program for students that would be interested in the forestry industry. Uh, Joe Fox, the state forester for the state of Arkansas, is seeing a shortage uh, in the workforce of people wanting to get into the forestry industry, and it's really hampering what they're able to do as a state entity and to manage uh, the state forests uh, across the state. So this would set up to where there would be one each year, a freshman, a sophomore, a junior, and a senior that would qualify for these scholarships. It would be paid for under existing funds, so no new money's there. And so that seems to be uh, up and going and will be a good thing for, for the state and really uh, provide more forestry uh, personnel. And uh, signed by the governor is Act 92, and Act 92 is the bill that changed the loophole that was in our uh, state vehicle limit law. Currently on, on the... Uh, level three type of vehicle, these would be those duly pickup trucks that a lot of folks in agriculture uh, use. Uh, the limit on the state level was 13,000 pounds, even though the federal uh, limit for that category was 14,000 pounds. And so we just asked the legislature to change that from 13,000 to 14,000. So the federal and the state definition of a category three uh, vehicle would be the same, and uh, anybody with a vehicle in that thirteen to fourteen thousand uh, range would uh, would qualify under the state vehicle limit law. A uh, little loophole there, and we think that will help out when buying that type of vehicle and using that in agriculture. So that was done. That's sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered. Keith, that's Act ninety two. So those are things that we got this week, and we're still plugging away at the other things. The budget issues are are on everyone's mind at the Capitol, and there's still a lot of work to go to do to, to going on with that. So we'll be monitoring that. We're still working on some broadband money and uh, getting that out there, and also any kind of tax issues that affect agriculture, farmers, or anyone in rural Arkansas. Wow, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, good news on a lot of fronts there, and uh, we're glad to see some of those things get passed and moving forward and i'm sure as we get into our next report next week we'll hear about some more things going on so we appreciate you taking time again jeff to update everybody on the happenings down at the capitol and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week you bet keith that's all for this week's arkansas agcast we'll be back next thursday with more news and views on arkansas agriculture